0: This is the Police Canine Training Podcast with Jeff Meyer. Join us for each episode to get real-world advice from canine professionals who have experience on the street. Each episode will focus on up-to-date information that you can use on the street. Spend about 30 minutes with us each week as part of your training day. Our goal at Police Canine Training is to make every canine team be the best they can be.
1: welcome to the police canine training podcast i'm your host jeff meyer today i have uh, justin rigney on with me i brought justin on because uh, as i've been asking several times for uh, people to give feedback um, for any uh, new suggestions or d- guests they want. A couple of people have said to bring Justin on, and then I had a, a request for someone that uh, asked, hey, can you please ex- explain the term drive capping, what it means, and you know basically what you're doing. And I know that out of a lot of people that have their own takes on drive capping, I've seen Justin talk about it, and I think he does an excellent job kind of explaining it. So I brought Justin on today today to kind of explain his uh, his take on what drive capping means and how you do it. So how are you doing today, Justin?
0: I'm doing good, brother. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and your audience. It's uh, A lot of the stuff means the world to me mentally. I'm a dog geek, and if I can help connect the dots for some people on some level, it's uh, I'm appreciative for that opportunity.
1: Good, good. How are things going? I know that you've uh, relocated and stuff, so can you give us kind of your background and then maybe a little update about what you got going on now?
0: Yeah, my wife and I were chatting yesterday about this, bro. It's going to be six years (laughs) since we moved up here in early March, man. So, yeah, I retired from law enforcement six years ago from South Florida. We came up here into a whole new world, a whole new market for pet training. And, you know, since I retired from law enforcement, it gave me the the real luxury to travel and train. And I've been hitting it hard, man. I've been very fortunate and blessed to get, you know, requests to come out and chat with folks about dogs and all different types of pets. Uh, police dogs, working dogs, sport dogs. I've uh, been fortunate to w- work with the Army Ranger program at one point in time. I super good dudes working on a level of, of, of things and in, the sure. in world that we'll never, ever, ever dream <laughs> of, man. So, you know, all phases of it. And I'm, I'm extremely grateful, you know, in the same breath, where I'm, I'm a perpetual student and I'm always trying to learn as well. So, um, you know, we're in Knoxville now. And uh, my ultimate goal, man, is to develop a school for dog trainers. And that's in the works. I'm hitting the road a lot up until about June. And then I'm really going to dedicate time to staying home in a Knoxville area and, and developing that school.
1: That's outstanding. I, I know you stay real busy, so I uh, appreciate you coming on today. But uh, we kind of get to the the meat and potatoes of this. Um, sure. Let's and I know there's we'll probably bring you on a few more times, obviously, because we can talk about lots of things with you. You are on my old podcast quite a few times. But uh, the you know the question today is, you know, let's talk about drive capping. What does it mean? And uh, how do you do it? So in, a, in a, what what do you look at if somebody says, what the hell is drive capping?
0: Well, I think what you asked is great, man, to identify the term. Because a lot of times when I open my classes up, I, I have a, a real – kind of in-depth talk about terminology because, you know, one word means something completely different to different training groups and different yeah. people, man. So getting on the same page with that, and long story short with capping, it's the ability to internalize the animal's emotions, their drives, whatever that may be going on, their hormonal state, and be able to solidify that and to manage that in a way where the dog is not going to be leaking audibly, barking, whining, doing things we don't want to with, with its voice, so to speak, and positionally um, creeping and crawling into down, Breaking positions, fading from healing, vi- violations of certain behaviors—like all that non-productive energy that's outside the target behavior—is what we're going to consider leaking, right? Yeah. And we want the dog to be able to internal- internalize that, and we do that through obedience. But someone that understands Cappy knows how to get there, it has to be with clear, clear communication. The dog has to be in a a training system that's clearly empowerment of the dog clearly understanding how to find its advantage through a reward system. And it's been clearly prepared for pressure, and the system makes the dog understand how to avoid those consequences for not doing. So that's a long-winded story. It's probably a three-day seminar (laughs) on its own. But with those things, again, with the terminology kind of diagnosed about we want the dog to internalize that that outward expression of that desire to go downrange and do things. Um, So, you know, I try to paint human analogies so folks can grab it from all walks of life and this is my own little you know hillbilly uh, redneck version of of uh, an, okay. an analogy that I use it's, uh, I use the pressure cooker as an example right so you have this device that builds up a lot of pressure and steam to, to cook food so if we imagine that the dog's body is the pressure cooker right the steam that is powering uh, or, or, or cooking all the food on the inside is the dog's drive state which is fueled by again his hormonal secretions his emotions Um, the things in its environment that are stimulating it whether it's suits sleeves bad guys food whatever it may be Um, that's all the ingredients inside that that pressure cooker right now if the lid is not sealed tight if the device is not closed the way it is, you're going to have steam that's leaking out, right? So the food's not going to cook the right way. It's not going to taste the right way. It's going to take much longer. So, again, the the leaking, uh, the steam kind of being released outside that pressure cooker would be barking. It'd be whining. It'd be leaving positions, right? But what happens is when you seal that top correctly with good obedience, a lot of times we utilize the down. Because right, a down in a dog's brain, and you can cap any position, don't get me wrong, sure. but as a go-to, it's typically the down, because mm-hmm. it's, if it's a dog's trained well in the down, that understands that the faster I get into down, the faster I get to get out and get rewarded with indirect reward, it makes that behavior very powerful, now when you cap that with clear obe- obedience, that pressure cooker is building steam, building steam. That's loading and loading and loading. When you finally give the dog permission to go down range and handle things that he wants or achieve his reward system, it's explosive energy that's dedicated clearly to that specific target behavior.
1: Okay, so let me slow down just a little bit because you've, you've got some great points here. So to start with, when you said you know a reward system, now you know you know I've both been doing this for a long time. And we've all seen a handler who gets frustrated because their, their dog won't shut up. He's barking. And um, some of them, either through frustration or through training or whatever, will revert to some type of compulsion. In my opinion, compulsion isn't going to work with this. Um, but, you know, is there, is there any component of compulsion? Or do, is this where you're saying we need a, some type of reward system to, to start teaching this dog, uh, you know, what, what we're trying to communicate with him? As opposed to, you know, you're not going to be able to punish the dog into to being quiet or being still if he's if that's if the problem is, you know, too much steam in the cooker.
0: Well, for sure, this, we have to have balance. We have to have a balance system where all four quadrants are in play, and the, and again, the dog separately knowing that language clearly in, in his everyday life and in his training life uh, will make things transition so much smoother when you add the big prizes to the environment, like. Suits, sleeves, decoys, and things like that. So, you know, there's a missing component of a lot of stuff that um, folks, they kind of just bypass barking as barking, right? And yeah. What, what people are doing very frequently, unknowingly, is rewarding prey barking, right? Yeah. So a, a dog that's in prey barking is in a very unnatural drive state, right? A predator, in many cases, would not be giving any type of audible expression in the hunting, stalking, pursuit of prey. You know, and we're yeah. talking about food acquisition, yeah. right? So, yeah. all these natural, God-given, innate instincts that predators have, we're morphing them into our our world and to produce behaviors that we want. But that that same kind of premise is still very much relevant in the dog's brain. So, what what is prey barking? Prey barking is a very high-pitched chaotic unpredictable like undulating expression of emotion like barking is expression of emotion and when you hear that high pitch like it's so frantic there's nothing clear about it and the body language that's accompanied with that is chaotic spinning jumping flipping over a back tie side to side just hysterical unfocused leaky type of energy sure and people see that and you know the. A lot of times folks don't don't really understand it, but they're also inheriting this baggage, right? So many dogs in Europe are put on the back tie for line agitation. Yep. It's whip, 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 hysteria, chaos, and to the untrained eye, it makes the dog look very driven and powerful, which it can. Like And again, what I've thought, what I've realized over the years that sometimes them, them you know, building that much power in the dog and then later us being able to cap it, it's a pretty nice picture at the end. So those folks that are people that have the dogs barking and prey, there's a lot of hope, and we can make a lot of cool, like, yeah. round quick, quickly. Yeah. So, again, it, why do the dogs are barking and prey because they're restrained? Right. If they weren't held by a leash, a back tie, a bite table, bite box, they'd be able to go forward and and acquire the prey they're looking for. But that frustration builds in the animal because they can't move. Right. So then it starts to express themselves audibly. Right. And they're leaking, leaking. Yeah. Again, what we're looking for, ideally, what we're looking for is is active aggression right and it's an extension of prey but it's more um deeper powerful like guttural like convincing barking right it's good rhythm strong strong cadence rhythm pitch tone like everything's wow 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 and you know you you can get two 300 bite barks in a a train in a training session out of a dog and the body language that's accompanied by that that deep barking is very forward it's postured. It's it's squared shoulders, eyes, ears facing the target with very little side to side movement, right? It's very focused on a target. Yeah. And that type of brain where it's very and very clear drive channeling because the bottom line at the end of the day, the sequence must be that aggression, forward aggressions demonstrated through power and barking the way we're talking about must produce prey. So the aggression activates prey. An acquisition of prey must occur in silence, right? Yeah. It can be very, very subtle. If I'm, The dog is on a back tie, and I'm going to talk to you about some systems that we have to, to get the dogs quiet and prey and the bark fence stuff that's, uh, that's out there. It's really helpful with this kind sure. of stuff. So let's say the dog is a little bit squeaky and prey. It is a little bit side to side. I'd stand there facing the dog doing absolutely nothing, and ideally I can be using a, a puppy wedge or a bite roll, and it's over my shoulder. Sure. A sleeve leash, right? So it's got a leash attached to it. And every dog has what I call a strike zone, right? So that means when I'm inside the strike zone, when they're when they're back tied, when I'm obtainable and they think they can reach the prize, they will go quiet. Now some are bucket mouse where you almost gotta take it out from in between their teeth to shut them up. Yeah. But it, but every dog has the different strike zone, but inside that zone they will be quiet in the pursuit of prey. So I step outside that strike zone. Right. With a concealed prey over my shoulder and I'm facing the animal like a slightly confrontational prey, not moving. Right. Maybe a little bit. You know, you're going to do in the very beginning of of protection training bite training, whatever you want to call it, is that there has to be a little bit of react. react Yeah. Yeah. We're going to stimulate the dog to understand this is a game they want to play. But very, very quickly, we must flip the script and make the dog active and the decoys reactive. So all all my training, whether it's obedience, no matter what it is, active dog, reactive handler, it's active dog, reactive decoy. And you know the opposite is poison, man. Exactly. So all this, exactly. Yeah, so, so that's not it. So it may look a little bit awkward in the beginning. The dog may be bouncing on the back chive, flipping over squeaky prey. At some point in time, I'm going to tell him none of that bullshit, none of that shitty displaced energy is going to move me. And at some point in time, they will settle. And maybe for a split second, they may give me eyes, ears, frontal posture. And they give me that one, wah, that one clear, yeah. deep, frustrated bark. And then I immediately, I mark if the dog understands verbal markers, mm-hmm. but I'm also marking gesturally because I am going into prey. Yep. So now I have that, that pillow, that sleeve leash uh, on one, anything. The dog's gonna bite. Now I cast it out into the strike zone. As like a, in like a helicopter kind of movement right and that what that allows me to do is to get the dog to shut up quicker because I'm outside that strike zone the six foot leash that it's on I can cast it into yeah. the zone yeah. where the dog think and that will make him quiet and as I'm gain I'm decreasing distance to the dog I'm keeping it helicopter swinging I'm reeling it in and ideally I want to pay the dog in silence right yeah so once the dog's in that clear drive state that aggression makes prey and prey is a pursuit in silence. It's, it's crazy how clean and clear the capping it, it, it happens like almost organically yeah. because the dog's mind is right
1: and I'm sure what you see is like you said it might only be a split second that you're going to yeah. get that clear headness but once you get it and you mark it correctly then the next time that split second becomes four split seconds and then yes. five seconds and then pretty soon the dogs understand, they, they clear up really quickly once we mark that correct behavior it's been my experience.
0: Yeah. hundred percent, man. And, and we're staying in just a couple of quadrants right in the beginning. It's positive reinforcement, negative punishment. Like I'm just not activating. I'm not moving. Right. So, but we can add a consequence to this. So I want to, I want to front load the dog with the answers without any pressure. Like I want him to experience through self-discovery, how, what mood, what drive state, what position, what I have to do to make that rabbit move. Yeah. And then once we, once we teach him the out, then we go to apply pressure it's the dog gets it really, really quickly, right? So the, the tools that I like to utilize for getting the dogs quiet when they are leaking, right, is, is the dominant slip lead and there's a couple of kids out, out in your area in Colorado um, that are making yeah. it canine culture collective. They're making amazing gear. You know, I taught a class in LA almost a couple of years ago and they threw a little goodie bag at me and I was, I said, Hey man, thank you so much. And it went into my luggage. It got tossed in my van. And then one day I'm, I'm digging through my stuff and I find this like, amazing gift bag of slip leads dominant slip leads and man you know i've gone through a lot of companies and yeah the 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 durability of the paracord type material they're using the little stoppers that are on it like it doesn't move and that's the idea like for a dominant slip lead to be well fit and effective it's got to, you know it's gonna be right under the chin right behind the ears that stopper has to be in place that when we need that device to work it's just fingertips and what we're trying to do is restrict blood and oxygen to the brain Right? Because in moments of aggression or leaking or, or that prey barking, that hysteria, um, using a prong collar and an e-collar to stop that behavior is, in my experience, not as effective because it's almost like giving me someone that's got anxiety, cocaine. Yeah. Right? That needle, that needling sensation from the prong, the same thing, that needling sensation from an e-collar can mimic teeth in, the, in a predator's brain and just create more anxiety, more aggression, right? So the analogy I use for the dominant slip lead, and I looked at a combat sport like mixed martial arts, you know, like the best strikers and the grapplers in the world can't do anything. When they're wrapped up in that rear naked choke, and the blood and oxygen is getting diminished to the brain, so it's like a sedative. So the dominant slipley is like lack is, is like uh, Xanax, yeah. And what it it's it got a calming effect, but mechanically it shuts the mouth. So, you know, back to that rear naked choke. If we're standing here having a conversation, and somebody wraps me up from behind in that rear naked choke, if I'm able to, to tap before it lights out, I'm shutting my mouth. Like I'm dealing with that restriction around my my neck. And I'm not speaking. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's out the window. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's a very beneficial tool. We want to use as little as possible, but as much as necessary to get the dog quiet and pray. So what it, ha- it could be on the back tie, it could be on a bite box, you know, by table, whatever your devices are. And with a dominant slip lead, it could, the 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 decoy could be wearing it. Uh, sorry, using it, or another second handler off to the side can be using it. And it's best when it's anchored against another collar. So it's, it's again, it's minimal pressure. And the dog starts to shriek and pray. The prey stops. Pressure is applied. Again, very minimal, if yeah. possible. Yeah. And the dog learns. He goes, wait a second. This was a bit of uncomfortable, but also the prey stopped. Right. Yeah. So he shuts up. Shuts up pre-activates again he leaks prey stops pressures apply so in that black and white system the dog really understands how to find his advantage to, to keep his mouth quiet and we're marking again verbally gesturally they, they get it they yeah. absolutely get it
1: so let me jump in i got uh, one point right here i want to have you clarify you've mentioned back tie bite table whatever um mm-hmm. do you do this ever with the handler holding onto the leash and the dog posted out nope and can you explain why
0: Humans zig, humans zag. Humans yep. get tunnel vision and they start walking forward and following you. Like the distance that I need to, to mark these behaviors or add pressure is crucial. So you need the dog stabilized. Yeah, I don't use it on the back static. It's not a bungee. It's nothing with any flex. I have to know my zone in order to get that strike yeah. zone, but also to, to apply pressure. And, you know, the human body just has it's yeah. fluid and it moves, you know, so it just doesn't give you that stability you need. And I, I mentioned that
1: because I think a lot of people forget that little step and you'll see them try to do it. And, and I don't think people realize that, you know, when, when we think, well, it's only a quarter inch to the dog. A quarter yeah. inch is massive to the dog when he Cheers. can pull forward, and you've changed the entire exercise once that dog thinks he can pull forward a quarter inch, and all your other exercises kind of out the window at that point. I would, I would think.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And in order for the dog, for the dog to hold himself accountable for his behavior, I like to keep the handler out of it.
1: Yeah. I almost
0: want the dog, the handler up in the dog's peripheral vision ahead of him, saying, "You're on your own, dog." Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of moving parts that not having a human so much involved, but a lot of it comes down to timing.
1: Okay, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to get that point out there because no, I, please, I, I please, picture please, it, yeah. and I, I know that might be – I've seen people do similar exercises, but they're not utilizing any form of equipment. It's just a, a handler holding a dog, and it, it I don't, in my opinion, it's not going to work.
0: No, usually not, man. Usually not. Okay. And, um, you know, what we've started implementing back into a lot of training several years ago was the Bark Fence. Now it's, it's it's a tool that's been around forever. And it's it's crazy, man. I just filled a bunch of content out in California and Arizona last week. And I've been putting it out there. And it's just, it's crazy how people are so triggered, bro. Like, just, yes, <laughs> I, 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 there's nothing, not, there's 0. 0.000 shit that I've invented in dog training. Yeah. yeah. Zero. <laughs> but. I'm a thief of intellectual property. Like I can steal some shit. I can I can put in my toolbox, manipulate a little bit, do my spin. And sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. But you know, with the bark fence again, it's been around. It was an, actually I, I learned it from Greg Dowd uh, like a hundred years yeah. ago. as a tool tool for IGP holding bark. But you know, you see one aspect of a of a tool or a system in one sport or one application. Like man, that could work for me big time in another application. So what, what the bark fence does for us, man, it It immediately taps into barrier aggression, right? Like anybody that's put their hands on a dog knows if you've been in a kennel environment, you see a dog in a crate and they're acting like they want to kill you and you know the dog, you know, the dog's full of shit. You open the door and the dog's like, Hey, good to see you, man. And I, I posted a video that's like four different clips of dogs doing the same dumb shit. Like there's, there's three dogs in a driveway on one side. There's a big roll up gate. It's uh, it's like straight, straight bars. Yeah. And on the inside of the gate, there's another three dogs trying to kill each other through the gate. The owner, whoever hits the button and the gate starts to open as the gate gets further and further <laughs> wider, the dog's like, oh, okay, bro, cool. Yeah, they Dog all get, get friendlier. Out. But in that moment, behind that barrier, there's deep, deep power and aggression. And there's a lot of hormonal shit going on inside the animal. Now, if you imagine what the bark fence looks like, the folks that don't know for your audience, it's it's a, basically a chain link panel that we use ideally. It's about three feet high and maybe six feet wide. And it's you can ha- actually attach panels together of the same size and flank it out. So it's like, you know, it's stable. You don't want yeah. to move yeah. too much, but the height of the, the three foot height or whatever, maybe four foot, Allows us to be on one side of the chain link, low and passive, the dog to get into that deep state of barrier aggression and, like, a lot of shit flowing through its veins. We're able to mark that moment and step up over the fence and pay the dog in silent prey. You're talking about, man, it it is a powerful, powerful moment, right, for these dogs to understand that. And it's not, the barking we're looking for is that power, man, that really deep power, right? And the beauty of the fence, too, is that we can string the dominant slip lead onto the through the fence onto the decoy side and have a second handler handling that stuff so the dog gets a little bit leaky, right?
2: Yeah. Now
0: now we're, you know, all these people that are triggered and upset that thinking I'm trying to reinvent the wheel or, or you know, Eric Good and, and Ronnie down from uh, Martin County, Florida, man. Like, no, no nobody's claiming that we reinvented the wheel, but we're dusting it off and we're putting in into yeah. the motion that, that we're seeing a lot of different benefits, man. And the other big benefit is the team neutrality aspects, right? Because once the dog's clear on being quiet and prey, you're tapping into that deep, powerful emotion and the aggression, the forward, active aggression, getting paid and in, in clear, silent prey the bite pressure is going through the roof but that brain is very capable right
2: yeah yeah
0: so what we can do is we can start putting flooding the inside where the dog is on the fence with toys bite pillows and sleeves and the dog knows not to touch that he's going to go for that but he's going to get in trouble he's going to get corrected electronically and ideally the dog's been conditioned to e-collar many many months before you even attempt this sure yeah Some, sometimes we have to plug and play and and, and get things moving forward quicker and it, it, it can't happen and it happens successfully, but the dogs learn to not touch the things that they want. Now we, we talk about redirected aggression, right? Especially in pet dogs or yeah. we see it. a handler's got a dog, dog is on target, bad guy's in custody, no bite, handler goes to pull the dog back and the dog is like Tourette's. The dog has yeah. no idea that he turns and nails the handler, right? So inside the fence, the handler's out of play. nowhere's not accessible. He's not around. But when the dog goes to feed off these sleeves and tugs, he's going to get corrected, which is to piss him off and take redirected aggression, on the passive target of the decoy who's on the other side of the fence so it's another mood enhancer we're utilizing right yeah so what the dog learns to not touch toys and then you add people in suits right yeah then you're, you're adding people giving commands to get on the ground stop resisting let me see your hands all that verbal judo all that de-escalation shit we got to spit on the street yep. um, for the cameras yeah. and the dog learns that all that shit means stay on target
1: yeah because something fun comes, might happen here yeah and and that uh, you mentioned it with the team so when you're integrating this with you know on a SWAT deal or something and the SWAT guys are breaking windows and you're standing there waiting for them to do all their stuff this is going to directly translate into those environments pretty easily
0: definitely man definitely and once you get the dog caps in that high state of arousal you know, we can never recreate the real world. You know, the, yeah. you know, the the missing element is the whole model dump dump: bad guys, good guys, yeah. everybody in the environment. We can't change that chemical signature, but if we can up the ante of all this kind of shit in the dog's training world. And I, I didn't do this shit on the road, man. This is stuff that I saw yeah. Eric good and Ronnie. I can't, I'm sorry, bro. Ronnie, if you hear this, Mangiello, <laughs> Ronnie Mangos, we we'll to be calling him, Butcher's his <laughs> last name. But these guys have taken, and they learned it from a guy named Mike Lorraine, very talented sport trainer. Mike got it from Greg Dowd. It's like been handed down. Yeah, yeah. And everybody puts their twist on it, right? So now this is in the real world. Like I went down to train with Ronnie, man, several months ago. And bro, these guys were doing like, they had a passive, like je- uh, shorts and t-shirt, at the end of the hallway, a narrow hallway. Cops staggered, and the cops were wearing suits. Their sleeves in the hallway. Chandler comes up, makes the analysis. They laser point the passive guy. The dog's muzzled. Yeah. Sends sends the dog downrange as the dog's going to ca- acquire that passive target. The decoys are walking into the dog, pinning him against the wall. He's wiggling through suits. Yeah. The so muzzles, muzzle smash the passive target, bro. That's next level shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's you know? and that all happens when you know we just about drive capping, but it's when you when you clear that dog's head, cap yes. those drives, and I think uh, again I kind of mentioned earlier, what I've seen over the years a lot of times is that people they concentrate they 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 put their sights on one behavior, you know, and if if you like the exercise you just described. And then they want to try and do that through compulsion and drag the dog through it and all that, but you have to do all the steps where and and the, I like you know you mentioned self discovery and I love doing stuff when dogs are in a high state of drive, but we still control their environment in a way yes. where they still can sell, they can they can be successful in that split second and they'll self discover that stuff on their own, and it just seems like it's sometimes it's like pushing a boulder, but once you get it rolling, then everything gets so much easier
0: for sure man and, and and as much as you can keep your human shit out of it the better you know as cops we're, we're control freaks we want our hands in every fucking thing so letting the dog fuck up and look like shit it, it's a very powerful mo- moment for learning for the dog because through that frustration of not understanding how to find the target or find their way home it's like a gps like handler help gps gps well, what happens that fucking signal goes down yeah and now you're stuck you got to find directions on your own you're gonna get lost you're gonna get pissed But when you hit that target, when you find your way home, you never need anybody to tell you shit again. It's like hardwired in you. So it's a very powerful moment for the dog. But like you said, big, big component of this is controlling the environment. You know, and, and we want the dog to go take the bait when he's ready. But we're also ready to let him understand that's not the solution. And a lot of people see this shit on social media. And, and if they're not critiquing it because they're, you know, they're fucking triggered or <laughs> their egos damaged, they'll just plug and play into what they just saw. And you, again, you have to do the sequential chronological building blocks in fairness to the animal because when you keep changing these pictures so rapidly, they get lost. I mean, yeah. You got to do these little micro components, these little micro behaviors.
1: Yeah. You there's a the lot whole- of moving parts to any of this training. And I think sometimes people, um, either, either don't understand all the moving parts or they shortcut it. No. And there's really no shortcuts to, you know, if you're dealing with a, a real nice high drive dog, that's where the patience comes in.
0: Yes. hundred percent, man. And like I said, bro, I'm fully, completely transparent. I did my last dog was an asshole, bro. Like I couldn't have a team with me. Yeah. It was, it was a detriment. Yeah. I didn't I didn't I didn't put this shit into motion. You know, I was I probably left canine fucking eight years ago now, seven plus years ago. Like I wasn't doing it. We had our own version of cat. I could control the animal, get me wrong, but but working in tight quarters with a team was not something I even considered, bro. But this yeah. this shit Well I think like there's Eric,
1: Yeah, there's a difference between I think control and clear headed dogs. And I think people Mm -hmm. don't, or, you know, even, even obedient dogs and a dog that's, you know, clear headed. I think people don't sometimes see the difference on that.
0: Yeah. And again, it's it's guys like Ronnie and Eric have have taken this stuff, learned from a a civilian sport trainer and put it into motion with absolute real world results. You can't argue the fact like Eric, people are coming all over the place to Eric for dogs that are not engaging. Yeah. when they go through the system they're not just engaging like we used to think little scrapes maybe a little puncture was okay Well, i'm talking about big boy shit like yeah. missing calves <laughs> yeah. like permanent sh- like hammering first time opportunity because the, the emotion aspect of of the aggression and, and the biting behavior is not something We ever discussed in the past, we just called it drive or the dog was hard. But the emotional aspect, again, on the fence, being able to cap that moment, and then later through a progression of linking it to the dog's nose, his nose leads into that emotional moment through barking or through straight biting. His eyes lead him to that passive target. We're going to utilize all the dog's senses to bring him to that emotional state of when he puts his teeth on skin, whether it's through barking or visualization. Bro, it's, like I said, it's next level shit.
1: So, so basically just to sum this up, you know, we started out talking about drive capping to find it, um, and it really what we're capping are the unwanted drives that we want and starting to, to, to tweak the the drives that we want. So I always kind of look at it as like if a, a dog had a graphic equalizer built into him, we can start turning the knobs the way we want, you know, through all of these exercises. Yep. Um
0: and I, I always like to give handler some practical things to apply. Like, we can spit theory all day long and yeah. have a shit ton of videos out there. And and one, one specific one is a lot of it's the leaking. And, and, and I don't even know what the context, the, the questions came in, but I can guarantee you it's during announcements. Yeah, probably. Like, yeah. the announcements, bro, like it drives people insane. Yeah. Like I said, I have some folks that that handle dogs in the special forest community. And, you know, if dogs bark, we do building search announcements and we want them to sometimes. You know, the universal language of love is barking. Like I came from South Florida. I think English is like the third or fourth (laughs) spoken language down there, but the dog, everybody understands dog. But, you know, my buddies in the special forest community, when they're operating overseas and they approach a target, if the dog leaks, people die. It's that simple, man. So it's very, very important. So, a couple things, a couple little tools that I like to utilize or scenarios or training exercises, right? So um, in order for the dominant slip lead to be really effective, it's got to be double-handled, right? So your handler is on the regular gear. It can be prong. Ideally, it's on prong. Like, I still see these guys getting dragged all over the universe on a choke chain, bro, and I, it makes me insane. Yeah. Like, if, your handlers, if you're on a choke chain, you're tapping into opposition reflex, which makes... A, I can give you a lot of science, but long story short, you're making your dog want to get the fuck away from you, and it's a mood enhancer, right? So the prong's going to yield to that. So ideally, the dog's on a prong by the handler. If the handler and the dog the dog heels on the left side of the handler, I'm going to put the dog on the right side of the handler. I don't want to dirty the work that they've done on the left. Sure. I, ideally, the right side's virgin territory. So the handler's got the dog on the right. He's probably about three feet away from the dog, on his prong, which is secured. To another device so it doesn't break. Yeah. Yeah. The dominant slip lead is high and tight, and the dog would be on my left side now. Right? So we, we are gonna have this whole scenario set up at the threshold of a building, right? Button hooked inside the front door, not out of sight, the decoy standing there in a suit. This isn't a hunting exercise. This is capping, yeah. anti-leak anti-leaking, and being able to pay the dog. So what I give the decoy is an e-collar to hold. If they put the contact points on their skin, that's their fault. But what I'm going to do is, when the dog is quiet, I'm going to hit the vibration on the e-collar at a distance as a silent marker to have the dog, the decoy, come out and pay the dog in the position once he's quiet. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So what has to happen, and simply the environment. Some of these dogs you got to start at the car. They're leaking from the car. Yeah. But let's say we get to that threshold. The dog does it down. He's quiet. And the first time you say. ABC, you know, county canine and a dog starts fucking screaming. We as the as a team, the handler and the double handler have to have very hippie, chill fucking energy and body language. I'm going to apply all the pressure on the Slickly. The handlers just an anchor. Yeah. I'm going with my hands very low, not looking at the dog, because I'm facing the dog and pulling on it. It's very intrusive about yeah. me. Yeah, no,
1: yeah, now uh, you're the, you're the now you're the prey for. Him.
0: Exactly, I've done this a million times, bro. Maybe one or two dogs starts to eye fuck me, right? Yeah. So I'm facing downrange because gesturally they're gonna face the same we are. We're gonna give them gestural signals about which way the party starts. So our shoulders are square to the entry of the building, low hands. I'm leaning on it. And, and it usually it's very effective immediately. Some dogs are masochists, and it takes a minute. I've also utilized lemon juice, believe it or not, in a spray yep. bottle. Oh, yeah, we'll yeah. Shut, we'll, shut, we'll shut a dog up pretty quick. Yeah. But again, the second the dog, and it's going to be a little bit of a panic effect because you need that. You know, it, blood and oxygen to a predator is a high-value commodity. Sure. And they're, they're going to freak out a little bit. You want that. It's going to be aversive, and it needs to be. And then the dog, once the dog starts to get that little bit of panic, we release pressure and, and encourage the dog to go back in the down. Usually, it's automatic. An element to this deal about it's good cop, bad cop. I'm the bad cop. The handler's the good cop because I'm pulling the dog out of pack position, right? Yeah. Which, which changes the dog's brain, believe it or not, it makes the oh, dog yeah. say, "Whoa, let me get back to pack." Yeah. And and by simply pulling the dog out, we're creating a psychology to try to get tighter to the handler. So once that it's indirect pressure, because the dog's being pulled out of the down because he's leaked, he's now up out of the down yeah. position. So two things are gonna happen. He wants to be able to slingshot back into the down closer to the handler to get back in neutrality and harmony. Right, And we grant him that wish. Boom, we get yeah. him back. Handle repeats the, the announcements again. Another leak. We rinse and repeat until we can get and I'm not yelling, right? I'm just yeah, speaking yeah, the announcements.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: We're speaking at a low level. And then we can just get that. Then I hit the vibration, the e-collar, dog comes out. I'm sorry, the decoy comes out and gives the dog room service and position, right? Yeah. But it's never going to stop the dog from going downrange. I've heard that before. Oh, Trust yeah, 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 yeah. It actually probably makes it want to go more. Yeah. But now the dog's learned that he, through his own behavior of capping and being calm and focused and patient at the door, at the threshold, he can summon homeboy into his space and get paid. Yeah. It's, it's very empowering for the dog.
1: And what I like about this exercise is what it isn't is the handler doing whatever. Like I know a real popular one for a long time was to do corrections in a big circle and tell the dog to heal, 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 and then slam him back down with the uh, choke chain or what, or prong collar or whatever, putting a bunch of compulsion in him, and then think that now the dog's going to be quiet. And obviously it doesn't work. Eventually the dog starts coming up the lead at the handler because oh, of the yeah. frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what I like about your exercise again is is we're tapping into the dog's brain as opposed to just trying to throw a bunch of compulsion into them and think that it's gonna fix everything.
0: Yes. And then we're gonna pair electronics back into this later. so you don't have to I mean I, I recommend the dogs wearing a little bit of uh, a, a really super leaky dogs that have a dominant I And mean, then you got to be careful because it's accessible to the bad guy too yeah. So um, we can pair it with electronics because it's contextual. As they yeah. make that approach that hormonal dump starts. So what you do is you add E you add slip line pressure, then comes E. E comes off, then comes slip lead off right yeah. So the dog starts to learn that through that process, slip lead means E. And then what we're gonna do is fade out that slip lead, where instead of it being cocaine, because th- this in this picture the dog's gonna understand how to mitigate that pressure. Yeah. And he's gonna he's gonna think that electronically he's losing blood and air. Ideally. Yeah. There's no no absolutes in dog training. Right? Ever, yeah. Ever ever ever. Yeah. Yeah. But as a whole, this is a su- successful protocol for sure. Yeah, I like the that exercise. Thing, yeah, this other thing I tell folks too, man, is desensitize the event. When the radio is quiet, find yourself a plaza that's closed. Make the approach. Make your announcements. Walk the fuck away. Yeah, a lot, a yeah. lot. Yeah, you know these are easy in theory, but a lot of times busy, busy cities or counties can't do it. But you think about it, you got you have to reverse the psychology of what that moment means, right? And yeah. again, you're knocking. You're the dog will go in. Trust me, he will go in. Exactly. Yeah. That, the other long winded explanation, man, for this deal, and uh, it's a whole nother podcast and seminars huh. is te- teaching the forced fetch. Right. It's a it's a gun dog bird dog. Yeah. Cool thing. But it's also with Nipo po, man. It's it's everything Nipo po rolled into one. Oh, is wow. that the, sh- the short story short, short long story short is we're going to teach the dog to hold things in its mouth that it doesn't want it, And what the dog is waiting for is hinging on its mark, to, whether it's food trading for a toy, whatever your system has been. But the dogs learn to shut his mouth. And it's a it's an all-four-quadrant exercise, man. And beginning, it's it's positive reinforcement. We're making the dog love it. We're making the dog really want to do it. And then we're, we're, The dogs don't understand how to manage pressure through this whole process. Same process. I use a slip lead. I use e-collar. And then later, the dog knows he must hold this uh, article in his mouth for as long as we say. So you're, you're making your approach to a target. He's got to hold it. You make your announcements. He's got to hold it now. Could he leak leak out the side of his mouth? Yeah, sure. But if you add dominant slip pressure there, or you tap him on the e for not holding the the dowel or whatever you decided. Putting his mouth on the approach he's going to understand that context so an exercise that's, that comes from the sport world about retrieving dumbbells over jumps different things now we can use it for another application it's because it's just like the bark fence people freaking out that the fence is back <laughs> in play yeah. you know
1: and i, I obviously had, i've heard of the forced retrieve but i've never thought about it in that that uh, situation so i like that idea it just gives yeah. and it gives them a purpose you know and it helps clear their head at the same time sure Absolutely. you know,
0: overseas man overseas it makes it all hold that down and once the flash bangs and shit go off they know you're there you can spit it and handle business
1: yeah i like that i've never yeah. i've never heard never heard that before but i definitely uh i'd like to get you back on obviously there's a lot of things i want to talk to you about and go over the nipopo and a lot of this different stuff but Great, i think man. uh I think this is an excellent answer to the question that I got about, you know, what is drive capping and, and what are some ways to do it. So hopefully this uh, is good information. I imagine I'll probably get some questions on this. Um, when I do, I'll keep them and then get you back on here and maybe we'll go even a little bit deeper into this uh I know we Absolutely we could probably know. talk about this for ten hours. So
0: <laughs> if your if your younger crowd is is Googlers, searchers on YouTube and uh, social media, like look up impulse control exercise. Like you want to teach the dog impulse control a lot of different things in its life before you hit the decoy. Like if your dog can't hold it down while you throw a piece of kibble in front of it, you're not ready for the decoy, man. Like you want to you want to use lower value items to teach the dog impulse control and slowly open those those floodgates of, of drive and the dog's been taught to manage those things too so
1: and that's an exercise for their brain teaching that part Shush. of their brain how to how to work these things it's a, a puzzle to show them so yeah. and i Absolutely. think uh, you know just a, i've already said it a few times but i just think that's one it's still a common mistake people get these very well-bred dogs and um they they do a lot of things but especially the barking or the leaking or whatever and the answer a lot of times is to try to fix it with either improper e call or use or whatever mm-hmm. without thinking about what are we doing to change his his line of thought here? How do we break in this this cycle here? So I hope people are kinda of taking away from this. Same with, you know, when I when I problem solve probably just like you, when I problem solve release behavior, the last thing that I really work about is getting the dog to open his mouth on a bite suit. Right. I start way right. back before that, clear his For head. Sure. Clear his head and start instituting the right behavior with the dog, and then when he does bite, it's really not that big of a deal.
0: And hey man, you you've been around this game a long time, bro. You know the dogs have changed. Yeah, just just like the cops have, bro. Like this old caveman shit, bro, doesn't play. Like we have to prepare the dogs for pressure. Yep. Which is which is like we and I, and some people like go crazy when they see this shit. But I got a little female lab with me, man. She's super sensitive, bro. Like she's gone gotten very strong because. When I go play Chuck It with her, I tap her on the E-collar on a low level and I fucking chuck it, tap, chuck it, yeah. tap. Yeah. Same thing with a prong. I hold her by a flat, throw her toy out in front, tap the prong towards the toy. Like I'm teaching my teaching the dog that the tools are an activator. Yeah. So if the dog hasn't prepared, been prepared to to learn to activate with the tools and manage pressure, you just go to put pressure on the dog in these contexts, it's gonna be suppression, or like those dogs that come up the leash there few this way and far yeah. out between. they're out there yeah but you're really going to put the dog in deep submission which is hard very hard on undo
1: yeah yeah which then translates to dogs that don't want to bite on the street or don't search mm-hmm. correctly or anything else so exactly. it's a very holistic approach when you start you know, at the very beginning stages, like what you're talking about. So really good information. I appreciate you taking the time. I, I know you've been uh, traveling a lot and stuff. So thanks for uh, jumping on here and clearing up, hopefully, this this one uh, question, and I'll get you back on here to, to pick your brain on a lot more
0: things in the very near future. Any, anytime, but I'm easy to find, man. If yeah. Everyone wants to track me down on social media it's uh jray canine on instagram canine services unlimited on a lot of different platforms man i'm always happy to help and i'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity
1: yep and i'll put all your uh, contact information in the show notes like always so uh, if you want to reach justin uh he's easy to find like he says so thanks justin appreciate it
0: thank you brother you got it man right. Stay safe.
1: well that's going to wrap it up for this show i appreciate justin jumping on and answering uh, our questions from one of our listeners as you can see, I value all of our feedback that you give me. So, if there's somebody that you want me to interview or questions you want me to answer, anything that you want me to talk about on this show, just shoot me an email. My email is always in the show notes. It's jeffmeyer1 at outlook.com. Shoot me an email. I'll try and uh, find somebody to answer your questions or bring on any guests that you want. I know kind of a, about everybody in the industry. So, if there's a, a guest that you want to hear me interview, just uh, Give me the name, and I'll try and track that person down and, and get them on here. This show's for you guys, so I really value all your feedback. So I appreciate all the support I get. And uh, speaking of support, I get support from quite a few companies who uh, help help keep this show going and pay the bills. So one of my new uh, sponsors is Fox & Hound. So if you go to shopfoxandhound.com, what they have is a bunch of uh, products for dogs, shampoos, conditioners, all kinds of stuff. And we have to keep our partners looking good. Sometimes when I'm out training I'll see uh, a guy in his uh, uniform looks great his rides nice and clean uh, but then the dog if I uh, come in contact with him smells like he's been in a kennel his whole life and never gotten a bath it just doesn't look professional so don't forget that part of our our appearance you know keep the dogs looking good keep them clean that's uh, it's just a, its makes the dog uh, healthier keeps them happier so don't forget that part it's uh, real important. So there's Fox and Hound, they have all kinds of different shampoos, mostly natural ingredients. And one of the products that they really like is, that I really like, is the, uh, it's called Canine Oscars Kennel Cleaner. You can get it in gallon size or just a spray bottle. You get the spray bottle in your uh, ride and then just spray out your kennel once in a while, wipe it down, and it's going to make your whole car, car smell better, plus uh won't, your dog won't be carrying around the funk from the car. So check out fo- shopfoxandhound.com. Look at all the different products. For sure, check out the kennel cleaner. For, for us, it's, it's a great product and uh, almost seems like it's designed for, for what we do. And speaking of fox and hound, one of the cool things about them is that when you buy something from them, they support their own foundation. So the fox and hound foundation is out there and it's, the whole mission is to support our industry. So obviously when you look at their website, they have a lot of stuff for pets and other other, uh, you know, civilian dogs. But the Fox and Hound Foundation is all about supporting canine. And Karen Doss is the owner of Fox and Hound, and she has a, a big passion for what she's doing over there and helping us. So the Fox and Hound Foundation it will provide education, training, equipment, kind of whatever is needed. And they spend a lot of uh, their resources into helping Uh, people with retired dogs with their medical expenses. So it's a win-win. You get uh, go through the foundation if you need it, and when you buy a really good product from Fox & Hound, some of that uh, money from when you purchase it is going to go to the Fox & Hound Foundation. So it's a great company. Check out shopfoxandhound.com, and they'll tell you all about uh, their products as well as the foundation. And also, again, I want to thank Bob Eaton from CATS. He's uh, supporting the show big time, and I sure appreciate everything that he's doing for the show. So check out CatsPlatinum.com. Bob was one of the first ones doing record-keeping, or was the first one doing record-keeping online. Uh, What's cool about his product for Cats is that you don't have to have any kind of app on your phone or anything. You just log in, and you're on it. So you don't have to download it. You can access it from anywhere. And the other cool thing about CATS that I like is that you can pick the level that you want. So, if you don't want all the features, you just uh, drop down a level, saves you a little bit of money, and you get fewer features. So, you can have the whole package. You can have a package that has training and deployments, or just training only if you want it. So, different price tiers to match what you need. And most of the screens are very customizable. So, check out catsplatinum.com and maybe do the the 45 day free trial just to play with it and see if you like it so again everybody i appreciate all the feedback and the support so be safe out there and i will be back in about a week